Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Hello, and thanks for joining us on Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. My name is Michelle Beck. I am a two-time and nine-year survivor of breast cancer. I work at a nonprofit in Oregon called Breast Friends, whose mission it is to ensure that women do not go through cancer alone. And when I have time, which is not very often, I write at a blog called I Never Liked Pink. So today I'm super excited and appreciative because my guest today is my first male survivor of breast cancer. So his name is Rod Ritchie. He is also a survivor of prostate cancer. So excuse my French, he's kicking cancer's ass. Um, He is very active in the cancer communities. And we're going to talk today about what it feels like to be diagnosed as with breast cancer as a man and how he has become an activist for men in this community. I was introduced by Rod by another Guests that I had, Karen Anderson, last year, she runs a foundation in Australia called Foundation 96, which connects survivors with practitioners literally around the globe for survivorship issues, exercise, nutrition, and all things like that. So be sure to check out her organization as well. So as you can see, Rod is also from Down Under, and you'll get to listen to his accent for the next hour, which I'm super excited about. So Rod, thank you so much for being here today and welcome. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and your cancer story. Well, g'day, Michelle, and thanks for having me on the show show because, um, yeah, we do need to make sure the guys get a bit of a bit of airtime and uh, I think you'll find um, at the end of this show we'll know a bit more about men and breast cancer. So I um, was a book publisher, writer and editor for many years and um, I guess I'm very um, into the media. Um, when the internet came along I thought, wow, there's another opportunity here. The internet gave me a, a wider audience um, and I built a lot of travel websites. Uh, I did a lot of search engine marketing and um, so pretty savvy IT and pretty savvy with um, writing, editing, etc. And I guess I've just applied those skills when um, it's come to being an advocate. And I think the, um, the advocacy came along at a good time because I was thinking, well, I've, done, I've, I've, I've had a great career here and why don't I try and transfer the skills to um, um, letting men know about the disease more because I found when I was diagnosed that I really was in the dark and, and Dr. Google was my best friend. But um, since then, I have to say I've got a lot of other best friends. And, I, and, and to be truthful, um, most of the best friends are breast friends. They're women. Well, that's there's so many of us out there. The the statistics, um, as you very well know, one in eight women are diagnosed. But for men, it's is it one in three hundred? Is that correct? No, it's one in eight hundred and sixty. Oh wow! Okay, see, I have cancer brain. I can't even remember simple simple numbers. Um, right. Yeah, so it is. We're going to talk about all all of these issues going forward. But how did you discover your your breast cancer? Well, I guess like a lot of men. I felt a lump um, because we're not in screening programs. We have to, um, we're on our own basically. Um, I did have a family history, which I'll talk about later, but um, I, to find it myself, it was a lump. So I presented to a 
uh, the general practitioner, my family doctor, and she and me decided, well, maybe it's nothing. So um, come back in a month. Yeah, it's, lumps it's, there. Yeah, it's nothing because you're a man. Or that's like they it, tell someone. They're not used to it. Yeah, yes, they're not so used they're not. to it. And, you know, like they with the younger women who are coming in, they're like, oh, you're too young for breast cancer. Full for you. You're too male for breast cancer. Well, guess what? That's not true. <laughs> and yes, that's not true. And and I think I, I sort of feel a bit for the doctors. They're busy people. And and my doctor, I guess, you know, had halfway through the consultation, you can see they're thinking about the next patient. And, um, and yes, it's such a rare thing. So, okay, so I turn up again in a month. Um, with the lump, I hadn't and as yet had a clinical examination by her. So, again, I'm not on the radar. So fast forward another month and I came along and I said, I just I want a scan. I want um, some sort of um, idea that that lump is something. She said, okay, okay. Um, and so sent me off for, a, for an ultrasound, which is quite um, more common for men. Um, seems to be easier than getting between those plates on a mammogram, but... It, uh, thank goodness. So the ultrasound, I could see the, the technician's eyes were popping out of her head and I uh, thought, uh-oh, this doesn't sound so good. Um, so a uh, doctor came in and had a look, had a radiologist came in and had a look and then um, they said this um, this will need biopsy. So a couple of days later, biopsy, and then I guess that's the diagnosis. Um, goes back to the doctor. She rang me. My general practitioner rang me. She said, I'm sorry to say that you've got breast cancer. And your head explodes. I've heard those words. And because it's, even though you go, you know, you go get the testing and you're, you're waiting, you're still not, not processing that this could possibly happen to you. I'm sure you mentioned you have a family history. So you were kind of like, but it's still, when you actually hear those words to yourself, it's devastating. Yes, it is devastating. And uh, it's, it's, as you probably understand also, you once those words are spoken, you don't remember much afterwards. So it's like it Charlie to- Brown speak, wah 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 <laughs> wah wah, and yeah, that's why for all early appointments, highly recommend you take a someone with you to take notes because yeah. I remember sitting for me sitting in the office, just tears just rolling down my face, not listening to anything they're saying, and they've got diagrams and charts, and I'm like, I, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. So um, you're right, take someone along, especially when you get to um, medical oncology meetings and with radiologists and your general oncologist. I think you really do need to, um, you need to start switching on because, you know, and, and I don't have to tell you this, but knowledge is power and that's the way to get through it. I think the way to get through it is not to pretend it's not happening, but to understand that it is happening and understand what treatments you're going to need and try and work out your diagnosis and how that might transform into a, an appropriate treatment plan. So what did your treatment end up being after they found the, the lump and, di- and you were properly diagnosed? Okay, the treatment plan was neoadjuvant and that's um, chemo before the surgery. So the, 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 the skin was inflamed by the time I, I reached my surgeon and she said no um no that's that's not operable we'll send you off to the oncologist and she'll she'll give you a plan for radiation enough for radiation rather she'll give you a plan for chemotherapy and hopefully at the end of that i'll come back and um, we'll have a look at it and then we'll do the surgery then so the chemo was um you know chemo is chemo but um i had i had um 
two different programs of chemo and the FEC, um, which is the um, first one, and then the Taxol, which is the second round. So I think I had a total of um, six, two lots of three, maybe six over over with with three weeks in between. And, um, you know, that's chemo is, is sort of hard on the body, but... Um, I didn't seem to it didn't seem to affect me that much, and I I just tried to do as much physical exercise through it as possible. Once I realised that, well, you're not going to sit in a chair for all that time. You better go, you know, get a life, and um, and I did. And so the chemo was then followed by the surgery. The surgeon said, "Great, um, the lumps, uh, the inflammation's gone. The lumps are there. We can feel them. We'll get them out." So off to um, booked in for surgery and that was just one-sided surgery the um, uh, mastectomy um, not a lumpectomy a mastectomy as women all know it's um, to try and get as much breast tissue as possible um, men don't have as much breast tissue so to think oh that's easier but there was a fair bit to get there it was a you know three-hour operation and mm-hmm. um while she was there, she thought I'd better go for those lymph nodes. So she could see that um, perhaps a couple of them were infected. So she took all the lymph nodes as well at the same time as the mastectomy. So the pathology um, afterwards was um, two of the 23 lymph nodes were cancerous. Um, there was a, not a pathological complete response. So um, she said, well, I think um, really radiation is the next step for you because I want to clean up around. Mm-hmm. Uh, the margins were clear, but, but as I said, the pathological complete response wasn't there. So, um, yeah, so then heading off to um, the radiologist. Uh, has, there's another woman professional there. <laughs> Everything is women today, all these professionals. There's, there's a whole industry out there looking after um, breast cancer patients, and it's great for a man when you think about it to have the, all that experience coming into play. And so the radiologist said, "Right, um, here's a plan. We'll do 33 daily treatments. That's five. That's five uh, weekdays, but not weekends." And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it seemed to be the easiest part of it. Um, um, and then that was the end of that treatment. And the last eight years, I've been on tamoxifen. You know, it's really interesting. I in my brain, like it, it, if I really sit and process it, it makes complete sense to think that you're literally having the same type of chemo medication, the same procedures, the on tamoxifen, which, you know, those are all the things that women do. So it really just shows how much we need to get the information out there that men can get this, but they can actually be treated the exact same way, you know, to eradicate the cancer from your body, which is so important. You mentioned earlier that you have a family history. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Uh, my mother, um, unfortunately, didn't survive breast cancer beyond the initial diagnosis. I was 12 at the time and I had three brothers. She um, she had a mastectomy. Um, I caught her coming out of the shower one day and I, and I thought, oh, that doesn't look too good. I didn't think much about it. And we, we didn't get... To, it didn't, wasn't talked about in the family. You have to remember, this is back sure. in 19, 1962, there was no chemotherapy available. There was no radiation, or there was radiation. There was surgery and radiation, but the radiation was very severe. So she was treated um, with a mastectomy and with some radiation, and um, 
unfortunately, she lived a couple of years and then um, so she passed away. I'm sorry to hear that. I, I also have the, the family history from my paternal grandmother and she was diagnosed three times. And, you know, finally, the last time the metastasis, she lived a long life, but it, that was how I started experiencing breast cancer as a teen as well. So I, I, um, I've been through part of that now as that process, when you were diagnosed, did you go through any type of genetic testing to see if this was something that came down through your DNA? Yeah, good question. Uh, men are usually sent off for genetic testing because, uh, well, you know, because they're men, I guess. Um, and in my case, there was a family history. So um, we found the had BRCA1 mutation, but um, it was a variation of unknown significance and really we'll call that a VUS. The VUS is not clinically actionable. All those VUS results are stored away and, one day we'll find we'll find out there's you know um, there's some sort of genetic history maybe with my variety but there's no um, I just had a family history I don't have a proper genetic propensity to it the mutation as I said was the VUS and I guess um, as my um, breast surgeon says well look at the evidence you know your mother had it you had it so then you start to think about your kids and what you might have to, you know, put sort of them in a screening program. Have you, um, do you have children who've done screening? Um, I have a son and a daughter. They're both in their forties and um, the daughter's on a regular screening program and um, that's great. She hasn't had a genetic test because there's little, little point if she's got my genetics to get another VOS. Mm-hmm. So anyway, she's in a screening program, but my son uh, there's no screening program for um, right. young men. And, and I think that's one of the things I'd like to change. I, I'd like to think that if there's a family history, when you think my kids have got two generations before them and it's only my daughter that gets, um, you know, the proper screening, get the letter each couple of years and goes in, has, has the MRI, I think she has, because she's got dead breasts. But for my son, he's on his own. Yeah, it's it's very interesting how how that all works, and it, having male screening programs would be wonderful. I have another woman who I've spoken with, and she um, went through breast cancer, and she is BRCA negative. Her children, her daughters, are BRCA positive, and it came from her husband's side. So yeah. her husband, they did testing on the husband because his sister also went through it and and his mother and the BRCA came down from that side. So it's super important that people are educated to know that this is not just a, a woman's disease. And, you know, so thank you for being here today and, and talking about this and being so open. What made you decide to really become an, an advocate and promoting awareness? Well, as I said before, it was a good time for me. I was moving from um, the business I ran to looking perhaps to other things to do and uh, I thought, well, there's a bit of an opportunity here. I'm I'm reading about breast cancer but I'm not getting much about men and breast cancer Um, and I see a lot of pink around and I'm thinking, well, that's great. There's awareness for women but there's not the awareness for men. Now, people say, well, there's not many of you, and that's true. We're 1%. Just one in every 100 people diagnosed with breast cancer is the guy. So I think um, there's a couple of things with men. They're a little bit loath to go to the doctor anyway. 
but hundred um, percent. I can, I can tell you that with experience from my husband, he never wants to go for anything. And I go for everything now. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting all the things done. Cause I'm not having anything else go wrong with my, with my 50 year old body. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, that's, that's a good thing. And, and men also, this just remember, there's a bit of a stigma attached to this because it's such a, uh, well, it's a, it's a perceived as a women's disease. In fact, it's genderless because, you know, here we are, the men are here to tell you that you can get it as well. And I've always had this idea and I've, I've had a bit of success in this. When you look at a breast cancer charity website, instead of saying women this, women that, they're now saying people. And um, especially the ones here in Australia, I'm very happy to say degendered the text. Um, they're still very pink, but um, they we'll talk about that more later. <laughs> yeah, we will. But they pay attention um, to the guys now. They've got a section on their website, on their blog, where their guys are welcome to come and talk about talk about their disease. And it's really about breaking down the stigma attached to the disease. I think for men, I think you'll get more men out there when it's regularized that it's a it's a genderless disease, and they shouldn't feel embarrassed. It's just. You know, it's just another cancer you can get. You know, women can't get prostate cancer, but certainly um, men can get breast cancer. So there you go. Yeah, we definitely definitely need to normalize it more. We do need to take a quick break. So listeners, please stay with us. If you or your family need our services, please go to our website and look under our patient programs. You can also donate on our website or text BF radio to 41444 to ensure that people do not go through cancer alone. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Thank you for listening today. Breast friends need your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. I'm Claire Paxman, brand ambassador for Paxman Scout Cooling. Through my mom, I experienced the detrimental impact that hair loss during cancer treatment can have on someone's sense of identity. I am passionate in spreading the word about how scalp cooling can help those going through chemo treatment to retain hair and to gain a degree of control at this most difficult time in their lives. Listen in to the Breast Friends Cancer Support Network, Wednesday at 9am Pacific, March the 2nd, 2022 and hear more about how you can address this devastating side effect your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness you are tuned in to breast friends cancer support network to reach the program today please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck 
at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck, and my guest is Rod Ritchie, male. I, it, Survivor always sounds so funny to me. So a man impacted by breast cancer. So that's what we're talking about today. And we're really trying to normalize it and raise awareness because it does happen. It may be one in a hundred, but it's still super important to take care of. So Rod, we were talking about why you became an advocate before the break, but I know you've written various articles and publications and on websites, and you actually have your own website, mailbc.org. Is that correct? That's great. Perfect. And what kind of, have you gotten feedback from other men who've been diagnosed? Because I'm sure they appreciate all the work that you're putting into this. Well, yes. I I think uh, we'll talk later about a manifesto, which a couple of us have put together to try and bring uh, male breast cancer awareness to the front and to talk about extra issues. But uh, the men, I've done a lot of counselling with men. I've been trained as a counsellor. I do telephone counselling and um, look, I'm, I'm here to say not the majority of men who get breast cancer are interested in talking about it, but the ones that are are very appreciative to hear from someone who's gone through the same process as them. It really, it makes all the difference in the world. I, I definitely found that when I, when I found Breast Friends, it was walking into a group who got it. They understood and it really helped my healing process and moving through the survivorship stage because they understood. I had very lucky, supportive friends and family, but until I got into a room with women, they're like, oh, I went through this and this is what worked for me. And I understand the crazy emotions you're going through. Um, so I'm sure that the the men who are reaching out and who do want to talk about it are very appreciative and not all, obviously, I feel big generalization. Women tend to talk much more than men about things like this, but I hope that what you're doing can really help that process. Yeah. Well, me too. And you're right. Um, Men don't talk about their health issues. Men tend to um, come, come at issues when they really are so astounding that um, you better go do something quick. And that's unfortunately with breast cancer means you've got a larger tumor to deal with and, Yes. Often, uh, later diagnosis equals poorer prognosis, and uh, I think that's enough reason in itself to, for for me anyway to keep keep my advocacy going. And um, you know, without trying to overplay what one person can do, I think you know many people can do a lot of things, and so that's why I'm happy to appear and and talk about this disease as a male disease as well as a female. Definitely. And let's talk about research because we hear about research and all this money is, is, you know, donated to Susan G. Komen and the other foundations out there, but how much research actually goes into male breast cancer? Very little. Now um, that's some, another thing that um, we tend, tend to get on our high horse about um, some of us guys, but I hear from researchers and say, look, there's not enough of you to make um, a cohort that's going to make sense. But I say, look, just all do, just enrol men, put the results aside, and after a while you'll end up with a lot of data. If it's not, if it's if you can't get 100 guys and, and 900 women, if you want to use that um, sort of ratio, then at least, at least do something for the men because now there's nothing wrong with this necessarily, but we're treated um, on research based on women. Um, Look, we all do have um, estrogen and, um, you know, men obviously not much. Women have a lot 
more. Um, men have testosterone, women don't have much, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, it's it just means a lot, I think, to men once they get into a, a study um, to see some results. And I've, I've got a great collection of studies that have actually looked at men, and um, I'm, I'm publishing them on my website. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm just keen that there be more research. Um, but I do get the researcher's point of view as well. Yeah, because it's really all about getting more research done, more awareness, because yes, one in a hundred doesn't seem like a lot of men that you can find to put in a study, but that's still men that you can put in a study. You have to start somewhere. And if we don't start talking more about it, nothing is going to change. So that's why people like you are so important. Um, You mentioned estrogen and it's not something that we normally think about for men. Um, for, For myself personally, I had the the most treatable cancer, which is ERPR positive, so estrogen, progesterone positive, HER2 negative. And so my cancer fed on estrogen first time. And the second time it was like, take all my estrogen. So I finally had my ovaries removed. I'm on the aromatase inhibitors to stop the, to stop further estrogen production. But you don't think about that as men. So are, do men have more like triple negative types or is it still feeding on the estrogen that's in your bodies? Men, men have exactly what you have and I have, ER, HR positive, HER2 negative, the most treatable. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, a great, that's a great thing for men um, in that um, the treatments are the most successful and um, so um, we're lucky in that sense. And, but there are triple neg men and there are triple positive men and um, it can change if you have a recurrence and yep. uh, I guess um, there's a lot of factors involved there, but um, in that sense, men are, are quite lucky. And for men, the tamoxifen works very well, especially for older men. There's not as much, um, um, you know, there's not the, the, hot, the hot flushes and the, the night sweats and that sort of thing that a lot of women, particularly mm-hmm. premenopausal women, have. But um, so in many ways, I think we're sort of lucky. You know, I've been on the tamoxifen for eight years now and really... It's minimal side effects. Uh, you know, I'll probably be happy to get off it. But I sort of, it's like a security blanket. You talk about peanuts. Well, who's got the security blanket here? <laughs> yeah, I understand that. Do they have you on the 10 year regimen? Um, yes, well, I'm, I'm eight years, so I guess I'm going to 10. I've done okay. five. <laughs> so we'll, we'll just, I'll, I'll certainly get back to you at 10 years and, you know, let you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I believe me, I'm counting down the next five years because I'm the poster child for side effects. But as uh, you know, someone asked me today that I haven't spoken with in a while, like, how are you feeling? How's your health? I'm like, my health is good. You know, no evidence of disease, but my side effects are awful, but I'm still here. So, yeah. you know, what? Yes, I, I can consider yes, that a good day. Um, well, I, you know, so, but a lot of women, well, you said you're on aromatase inhibitors, not not tamoxifen or you're on both? Or what? I, w- I was on tamoxifen my first time around. So my first time I was diagnosed at 41, I was premenopausal, lumpectomy, radiation, tamoxifen, and all the side effects. But for some reason, it didn't. My cancer basically said F you. And I had a new primary occurrence while on the tamoxifen in my other breast. So oh, at, that, at that point, it was like bilat- full bilateral reconstruction, full hysterectomy, oophorectomy, take all the things and um, the aromatase inhibitors. Okay. And um, the aromatase inhibitors, how, how do they compare to tamoxifen for you? Um, worse feeling, worse. <laughs> more side I mean, effects. 
Yeah, they're they're stronger as from what everything says, they're better at prevention, but they are yeah. stronger and they eat away at my bones. Um, I fractured a vertebrae last August and it's just it didn't heal well because I just it eats away at your bones. So, but you know, I'm I do everything I can. I take supplements, I try to exercise as much as I can, and I'm here. So that's you know, I consider every day a good day. Yeah, that's good. I'm really pleased to hear that. Even even with the pain. So thank you for asking. Um, yeah. You had mentioned something earlier that you actually had a, a mastectomy on one side. And so I imagine, I don't know, how how large were you, was your tumors? Um, tumor was two centimeters. Okay. So, but the, when they're taking a lot of the breast tissue around that, is it common or did you have any type of reconstruction or do you just have the area that you can, you can tell that there was obvious, obvious surgery there and removal? You can tell there's obvious surgery, but um, I have to say that I, I, I know quite a lot of men with breast cancer, but I only know a couple that have had reconstruction. It's not considered important enough, I think. I guess, you know, I do get the, the difference between, um, you know, for a female to have, to have breasts removed is like a huge thing as a sort of sexual thing. For a man, mm-hmm. they think, oh, he's just going to look a bit lopsided, but so what? Um, so um, I think that's changed. So I've, I've been, I'm now eight years out from the mastectomy. I think nowadays perhaps a man might be asked if we want some reconstruction. It shouldn't be the biggest operation in the world anyway, should it? But right. um, I didn't I didn't want any more surgery. I was quite happy. Uh, the, the surgeon, in my case, wanted to take the second breast as well. I said, no, no, that's the canary in the in the mind and, <laughs> and after listening after listening to you I, I think oh wow but I mean that could have been worse to you if you hadn't had another breast there well it might have gone anywhere in you. exactly I I I call myself a cancer unicorn because I've had it twice they were both caught fairly early I'm very lucky and no chemotherapy so yeah. I know a lot about it just from talking to everyone but it's you know everybody's journey is different even though we're we're walking the same path we still take different steps yeah. So, but that's, I think, why it's so important to share. Um, you were talking about it the is. canary in the mind. Is it common for men, as common for men to be diagnosed metastatic as for women? For, for us, yeah. I, I, so many women I know, bones, lungs, liver, brain, et cetera. It's, it just goes everywhere sometimes. Yes, yes it is common, the, the novo um, diagnosis. And, um, I, you know... Over the years, I've unfortunately known a lot of people that, you know, haven't made it um, mm-hmm. for that reason alone. I know people that have metastasized, um, you know, from early stage. Um, I've had friends that have died as well. And I think um, it's, it's, it's a dreadful thing when um, you start off, start off with um, stage 4 breast cancer it's a much different road. And, and mm-hmm. most of the women that I'm dealing with on, say, Twitter, most of the people have had breast cancer, but they're all women, <laughs> so I have to say that, um, have, have go through a hell of a lot. And, and they're, the, they're the people I really admire, very much admire those women that are especially going on, um, you know, telling about their experiences, writing. You know, I could name names, you'd probably know them as well, and um, they're just fantastic people. And they give, I think they give everyone hope, but it's terminal. It's not called terminal stage for nothing. And and they're the people that we all should be helping as much as possible. Definitely. I, I will say that we don't use over here, we don't use terminal 
um, as much in the language, trying to uh, possibly just be positive about it. And I do know many women who were diagnosed metastatic years and years ago, and their they're, they're oncologists have found the right combination of medications and they're doing well. So very hopeful, but realistic. Yeah. I think that's, that's yeah, kind that's of... I, I agree with you there. That is really good. Um, I know people on their sixth and seventh and eighth line of treatment. Now, you know, that's only because of research. And um, I think I think people will take treatment as long as the, the side effects aren't worse than the, than the life that they're living. And um, it's fantastic. Yeah, I know people that have, that have been on one, one line of treatment for seven years. I mean, how good is that? Yeah, you can't beat that. And, you know, kudos to the people who are out there doing the research, no matter who they're doing it on, so we can find these new new regimens. So if so, you were diagnosed um, nine years ago, you said? Uh, eight years ago. Eight years ago. Coming from, do you remember what it's like to be diagnosed? What can friends or family do for for a man who's been diagnosed? So many people don't know what to do in general for a woman. And, you know, this is thought of as a woman's disease. So I imagine some people may get very awkward and they don't know what to say. Yes, look, I'm sure that's the case. I, I'm, I mean, because I sort of came out, if you like, very early on, you know, people know I wrote about breast cancer. But um, a lot of men keep it secret. But mm-hmm. I have to say that there's so much help out there. I mean, um, men have partners and partners have sisters and and sisters have mothers and grandmothers like you're talking about with family history and um, when you realise the genetics of it and and you have to keep pointing out that males carry half the genetic um, load, if you like, so you can catch it through your family, um, through your mother's side, through your father's side, you know, come down as you you were talking about from maybe your grandma um, and, and you don't just look for breast cancer, you look for ovarian cancer, you look for prostate cancer, and you look for a lot of a lot of cancers that can still give you some indication that you might be, you know, might um, a family history doesn't just always apply to breast cancer. So the men have to just understand that, um, you know, they've got it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit tough on them now, you know, and, and I usually find they're, they're quite responsive. And once they, once they know people that are, doing okay with it, um, then I think that's a, that's a big lift for them. Other than family history, are there other risk factors for men? Look, there are, yeah, um, there's a lot that's unknown about breast cancer diagnosis. Um, really, the hereditary aspect is like 10 or 12%. So, so we've got nearly 90% of people getting breast cancer for no good reason. It's more common in Western countries than um, in the eastern countries, and, and um, that in itself might might lead to um, diet. There's environmental factors. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really quite tricky, and um, I think the fact they haven't got a cure for it means they really don't know why people are getting it. Yes. Quite often, it's um, it, and you know what? I read a really interesting thing, and I put this on Twitter the other day. Someone was saying, "Oh, you've got breast cancer. You must have done something wrong." Well, guess what? You know, bad luck is part of <laughs> getting breast cancer. You know, that was a study that, and it was reported in Scientific American. And I used to draw people's attention to that. Bad luck. Yeah, I, I know many women who are fit and healthy and eat right. And they've done all of the right things and they still get it. 
I mean, yeah. for me, I, I was not as fit and I love to eat. And, yeah. but one of the things they say for women is if you have not breastfed by the time you're 40, that increases your, your occurrence. I had yeah. my son at 40. So, you know, I was a late mother. So, but you never know. And it could just be bad luck all the way around. You know, it's not that anyone ever asks for this, but it's also uh, not, not because you've done something or didn't do anything. It's just, yeah. it's bad luck. Yeah. Well, I think also um, once, however you've got it, if you've got it, then really you've got to, you know, work your way around all the whole um, treatment and the, and things and the side effects and all that. You just have to get on with it. I mean, it becomes immaterial how you've got it. Exactly right. You know, you can be angry for a while at the cancer, but then sometimes you just have to move on and worry about the treatment and then life beyond. So we are going to take another quick break. Please stay with us. Listeners, if you would like to be a guest on my show or send me your warrior story that I could read on one of those episodes, please email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. Plus, we're always looking for sponsors where we can highlight you or your business. So please email me for that as well. So stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Claire Paxman, brand ambassador for Paxman Scout Cooling. Through my mum, I experienced the detrimental impact that hair loss during cancer treatment can have on someone's sense of identity. I am passionate in spreading the word about how scout cooling can help those going through chemo treatment to retain hair and to gain a degree of control at this most difficult time in their lives. Listen in to the Breast Friends Cancer Support Network, Wednesday at 9am Pacific, March the 2nd, 2022, and hear more about how you can address this devastating side effect. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck. My guest is Rod Ritchie gentleman impacted by breast cancer. I don't know why, for some reason, I can't get the words out of my mouth today. So Rod, really quick, we'll come back to it, but what is your Twitter handle and where can our listeners find out more information about you? Okay. The Twitter, Twitter hashtag is at male fitness, one word, M-A-L-E-F-I-T-N-E-W-S, male fitness. 
And that's uh, also on Facebook, correct? Uh, well, Facebook, no, I'm, I'm okay. not used to Facebook. And I'm Twitter. on some, yeah, I'm on, um, I'm on breastcancer.org, which everybody should know. That's the site that's been around for since yep. cancer was invented. Um, I'm travel text there, travel text, one word. Got it. Thank you. And I'm the only guy posting there, and there's 120,000 120, members. Now, go figure that out. I mean, where, where are the guys? They're just they're gone. And I, Well, I do know what's happened. Uh, they were more there when I started years ago, you know, looking for help and, and helping others. And I think it's because social media has come along, and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and everything. There's so many more platforms. And, and I think younger people like those other platforms, you know, to... Get on. Have you used breastcancer.org? Uh, I haven't for support. No. No, so. but you're aware. You're aware. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So Good. let's talk about um, one of the things I did want to ask about was education. So that obviously breastcancer.org is a good place and there, there are other things, but are, are there any specific places you would recommend men go to for education and early detection information? Well, there's a couple of good Facebook sites one of them is the male breast cancer global alliance which i'm a member of a board member there's male breast cancer coalition which is another uh, have another facebook site but um the um really i think you get a lot of information on twitter um if you go on there and, and look for the hashtag bcsm which is breast cancer social media they have a weekly meeting. Oh, it's been monthly lately, but you can go there. You don't even have to participate much, but you can learn a lot um, each time. That's the uh, I think it's nine o'clock Sunday evening, Eastern time in the states. Uh, Monday evening, Eastern time in the states, and um, you can you can check them out. I would not familiar with that. Thank you. And we've kind of briefly touched on this, but since men are not at any kind of a regular screening process. I imagine that men are diagnosed later stage with poor diagnoses or poor prognosis, I guess. Is that the case? Uh, well, that's generally the case. That it's um, Look, it's, it's a bit like women. If you get early treatment, um, you've got a, a much better chance of surviving and not going to metastasis. But um, as I said before, there are, there are men that, um, for whatever reason, either their medical team hasn't picked it up or they've been loathed to um, present themselves for medical assistance. And, um, yeah, so they, they, do, they do have a poor prognosis. And I imagine just fear is really prominent out there because when, if you are male and you get diagnosed, it's, since it's so much looked at as a women's disease that you may not know where to turn for support or resources. So, um, say you have you've, some a new gentleman who's diagnosed comes to you. What what would you say to them? I'd say first of all, get as much help as possible. Go to the charity websites that um, are going to have blogs where you can talk. You know, hopefully to another man. But be prepared to um, listen mostly to women because they're the ones that are more likely to speak out. And you said that before, women women talk about things, men don't. We talk um, about everything to, to the nth degree. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. I like that. And um, I think it's straightforward and, and more honest to just come out and, and say what you think about it. And I wish more men were like that. Um, 
but but I yeah I think just look past the pink. You know, we'll get the awareness levels up there. You've got it. You know, deal with it. You know, learn about it. Get the best treatment possible, and um, yeah, and keep yourself fit, diet, exercise, the sort of things we all should be doing anyway. Perfect. Well, let's get to the pink issue. I was looking at your website, um, malebc.org, and there's a tagline at the top, which reads, male breast cancer, put some blue in the pink. Does all the pink make you feel like an outcast or how does it make you feel? Uh, no, look, I get, I get the pink, Michelle. And, and, and when I first started out, I was really against the pink. And one of the first things I was trying to get was to say, all right, have, have a pink logo, but put a little blue dot on it. Just put a little bit of blue. And then people go, you know, WTF, blue. And then they go, oh, that's because men get it as well. But um, nowadays I, I, I'm fighting a, a losing battle against um, the pink, I think. Um, and um, as, long as, as long as the charities and the government websites are very upfront about its genderless nature, I'm, I count that as more important than, um, uh, there's things that I want for men, which I'll talk about if you ask me about the manifesto. Um, That's my of, next uh, question. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so the pink is a thing. Um, yeah, we've got to get around it. Um, I get it that it's what the pink's for, but it's, it's not really good. I think they, the charities just can't help themselves. They, it's such a fundraiser. You know, the fact that it's a women's disease, the fact we're, we're an inconvenient truth. I have to tell you, they say, what do you mean you're a bloke with breast cancer what's that all about you know so then the men just go back into their shell and um that's too bad but so yeah it's up to the charities to say yeah well there is some blue in the pink you know here's here's what's happening and and i've had some successes and i might email you some of that information please do i would love to to post more information about that well also there is there's a number of women who don't identify with the pink who they they do not appreciate the cancer culture that comes with the pink washing and pink tober and it, it doesn't work for many women. Um, my social media handle is I never liked pink. I was, yeah, I saw that. I noticed I was that. not a pink girl growing up and I would have things here and there to support my grandmother and others, but it wasn't my thing. And I will say that I did embrace it once I was diagnosed because it made me feel powerful and part of a group. So for me, that's what it brought. If you could see my desk right now, it's covered with ridiculous amounts of pink stuff, Um, but it's not for everyone. And I understand that. And it especially shouldn't have to be representative for the men who are going through this as well. So let's talk about next the, I I now get the play on words, Um, the, the manifesto. Tell me about that. Manifesto. There it is. Not a woman. This is a manifesto. The manifesto. (laughs) So I've, I've, it's just a few lines and I'll, if, you, if I'm looking down, I'm reading from it so you'll, you can put up with me. So um, it was a few years ago my friend Rob, um, another male brain breast cancer survivor who's unfortunately no longer with us, um, we thought let's, let's you know, everyone, everyone that starts a revolution needs a manifesto. So this is what we, want, we were asking breast cancer groups to do. Um, just a few simple points like reduce the sexual stereotyping of breast cancer as being exclusively a female disease. Now, that shouldn't be hard. That should be doable. Next was to include a splash of blue amongst the pink to raise awareness of male breast cancer. That's what we've spoken about. Um, Then in October, you know, there's 30 days there for women. How about having one day where men are mentioned, a day for male breast cancer? So 
have a day to publicise male breast cancer in October. So then there's, um, you talked about research, but here's one. How about putting aside 1% of the funds, and these are enormous funds, how about putting 1% of the funds for researching men with breast cancer? Now, that doesn't seem pretty <laughs> outrageous, does it? I don't think so. Um, then the other thing, another thing is advocate for a screening program. Now, this isn't a screening program for all men. That'd be dumb. It's a screening program for men that are at risk, and men that have genetic propensity or family history. Why not get these men, and particularly younger men, into, into a screening program? And it, it wouldn't be expensive. It's, it would be, you know, again, we're trying to catch 1% of the new cases, but because men never get screened, um, um, you know, then there's the problem. I think that's the problem solved. That wouldn't be too hard. Um, another thing is to provide inclusive imagery, you know, instead of just, you know, put the odd man in here and there and, uh, again, WTF, there's a man, and they go, oh, that's because. Um, just a couple more. Um, build a sense of importance and belonging within cancer support groups for male breast cancer patients and their carers. In other words, you know, be inclusive. Here we are. Take us on board. Um you know, that's another reasonable thing. And, and most, most women do, I have to say. I've, this was written a few years ago. A lot of these things have come to fruition, so I'm not, I'm not trying to gnash my teeth about these. Um, second last one, provide easy access and relevant up-to-date information for men that is prominently displayed and accessible by all groups. In other words, have the information there, go research it, put it up, um, and then promote, finally, promote breast cancer research and development funding programs which include men and the male experience. So that's the manifesto. You know, I, I appreciate everything that you said there, and I, I would love it if you would send that to me so um, so we can actually put that up in conjunction when this airs because it's not it's not hard. The, the hardest thing really is, the I would say, the research funding. There's such, and like such I know, for, for metastatic breast cancer, it gets like 3% of the research. Yeah, that's nuts. That's and nuts. that is, it's, I mean, it's taking people every day, more and more people. Yeah. So yeah. there needs to be some reorganization of how those funds are used. But that, that, I would say that is the most challenging thing on there from what I see. Everything else, it seems a lot of common sense. I mean, yeah. the screening programs, yes, that takes some, some nods from the higher ups and the organizations, but it shouldn't be that hard. Agree. So, you've got your manifesto and you were, that was written with um, your, your late friend, Rob. And thank you for, for sharing that. Um, so did he pass away from metastases? Yes, he did. Yep. Yep. I went to see him in the week before he died. It's mm. a bit, bit out of state for me, but um, it was a trip I wanted to make. And, and, you know, we just, we just had a good yarn and, and yak about everything. And um, he did, he did a little video video for me and, you know, his last words were to me anyway, not to his family, were fuck cancer. And I think that's a great, um, that's a great hashtag. Yes. Um, there is a brewery here in Oregon, close to where I'm at, called Silver Moon Brewing. And every year they do the F Cancer Beer Campaign. So you can submit your names on it, which we're actually doing right now. And oh, very so- good, yeah, yeah. And so this year they're doing different colored cans, multicolors, not just, you know, yes. they're not, not doing just pink, um, yeah. but it's kind of fun to have your name on the F cancer beer cans. So, yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I'm not going to lie at the F cancer that that's one of my favorite words. So I use it. It's very yeah. expressive. Uh, <laughs> so we only have a couple minutes left. Tell us, I know you just read the manifesto, but other ideas or really anything that comes up on how the breast cancer community at large, not, not the rule makers or the money, the money pushers, how can they help degender breast cancer? I think, I think the breast cancer community is very receptive to the fact that men are going along similar treatment paths and I think um, they, know, they understand they have um, a lot of the issues that women themselves are dealing with and they're very supportive. So I, I don't see any problem from women with breast cancer. They're, the, they're, they're our allies. They're the best people. I think the problem is more um, for people... Perhaps if you go to work and, you know, you've been away for a few weeks or something, you're taking sick leave and then they say, what's wrong with you? You've had breast cancer. Well, I think that's a shock then and that the yes. stigma attached to that. And um, people often say they've had chest cancer, for instance. Now, that's a good one, but, you know, chest I, cancer. Isn't I, I know of a celebrity who has said he has chest cancer and, I, you know, you do you, but let's actually make it accurate. You know, it, it is breast cancer and that's the only way by normalizing it and getting rid of the stigma that it is not just a female disease. Yes, 90% are female, but there are that the 10% out there who are men and they need the, they need the same amount of support. Yeah. 1%, Michelle, 1%. 1%. Sorry. I can't do math. I, well, I've never was able to do math. And now, <laughs> okay, now, well, after, now yeah. after cancer, like my brain is like, we, so I, I have a lot of squirrel moments. So thank you for no, correcting me on that. Um, gosh, we are about out of time. So listeners, remember, you can follow Rod uh, at Male Fitness on Twitter or go to his website at MaleBC.org. So this is a full-time job for you. And what what is your main driving force? Uh, look, just having some success in any area that I spoke about on the manifesto, just helping other, other guys that have, um, you know, I've got their knickers in a knot about it. I just, uh, there's many, many moments of satisfaction and, um, and you know them all, so I don't have to talk to you about that, Michelle, but um, no, it's very rewarding and um, I, I think it's actually keep, keeps me going. Yeah, it just takes my mind off myself. Perfect. Rod, thank you so much for sharing your story and all the amazing work you're doing to normalize and degender male breast cancer. And I, it's super important. So please send me the manifesto so I can post that. Well, so yeah. thank you. Listeners, if you or a loved one need our services, please go to our website, breastfriends.org and check out our patient programs. You can donate on our website or by texting BF radio to 41444. Our show is available on many platforms, Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to nominate yourself to be a guest or to send me your story, I can be reached at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, we rise by lifting each other. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.